0: Tech worldwide. It's the High Tech Podcast in plain English, with an hour's worth of news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the commercials, the station breaks, the sports, and most of the jingles. Podcast number 703 for the 24th of July, 2020. This week, online backup systems offer the ability to recover more than just the most recent version of a file, but there are less expensive options if you're willing to give up that useful feature. In short circuits, despite their advantages, tablet computers have one huge disadvantage, price. When you're shopping for a Windows tablet, it's possible to save money on storage space if the device offers an XD memory card slot. Facebook users often see messages about hacked accounts, but the accounts probably haven't been hacked, just cloned. There are ways to make your account unattractive to crooks. In spare parts, only on the website, podcast aggregator Stitcher is about to be acquired by Sirius XM after being owned by the E.W. Scripps company for five years. Would you take a pay cut to gain the flexibility of working from home? A lot of people would. and. You might be surprised just how much of a pay cut they would accept. 20 years ago, the Crusoe processor from Transmeta promised to bring to market amazing new small computers that ran cooler. It didn't happen. Backup is essential. That's not a new topic or a new sentiment. You already know that my preference is for multiple copies of important files and for having one of those backup locations be cloud-based. If you're on a tight budget, there are ways to get some of the benefits of online backup but at a lower cost. There's no doubt that true backup services, such as CrashPlan, include valuable capabilities, not the least of which is the ability to retrieve previous versions of files. There are two reasons that's important. First, the user of the computer may change an important file accidentally and want to get back to the version of the file from last week or last month. And second, a ransomware attack may encrypt files on the computer. Again, the ability to retrieve a previous version can save the files. The primary advantage versioning provides is obvious when we understand that a file that has been changed, either accidentally or maliciously, may already have replaced the previous version of the file that was backed up. Versioning allows us to look further back. As scary as a ransomware attack is, it is far less likely than simple operator error. If you ever opened a file to use as a starting point for a new project, made some changes, and then accidentally saved the file without remembering to rename it, I'll admit I've done that. Not often, but I've done it. The original file has almost always been a document that I do still need. If I realize the problem immediately, I can just download the latest backup file, or grab it from one of two local backup locations, but even if just a few minutes have passed, the version on the server might have been replaced with the new version. To recover, all I need do is save the new file with a new name, open Crash plan, select a previous version of the file, and restore it. The process takes no more than a few minutes. Choosing to use an inexpensive file synchronization process eliminates that ability. But wait, somebody's saying, I know somebody is saying this. What about the Windows 10 file versioning? Yes, Windows 10 does have built-in file versioning. It is turned off by default. If you turn it on, file versioning will consume additional space on the computer's disk drives, maybe a lot of space. So if you're running low on space, that might not be a good solution. Whether it is a good option for you and how to accomplish it, that's a topic for some other time. So let's say for now that you want a less expensive option than a cloud-based backup system, and that you're willing to accept the risk introduced by a process that cannot protect against accidental or malicious changes to files. Microsoft, Google, and Apple all offer online storage that can be synchronized with one or more directories on your computer. The services have similar features i've selected Google Drive even though i have small amounts of online storage from both Microsoft and Apple Google gives users 15 gigabytes of storage for free that might be sufficient for those who have only relatively small amounts of data that they want to synchronize to the cloud but of course you can rent more space i've chosen 100 gigabytes of space for $20 per year I could double that for $30 a year. Two terabytes would cost $100 a year. You rent whatever you need, and Google provides prices online for up to 30 terabytes. That's $300 a month. One of the primary advantages to the services from Microsoft, Google, and Apple is that you can use that online location to store files that you want to be able to work with wherever you are. I use google drive to store documents and images that i want to be able to access from any computer or mobile device files that i want to share with others reference materials and manuals adding deleting or changing a file that is stored on the google drive directory on the primary computer or on any of the computers or mobile devices where google backup and sync is installed will change that file in the cloud and the change will synchronize with all other devices whenever those devices are online. And because I really, really, really hate to lose files, the Google Drive directory on the primary computer is also backed up to Crash Plan. By default, Google Drive will back up the Desktop, the Documents directory, and the Pictures directory. The problem with that is that I don't use any of those directories to store important files, The desktop has nothing of value. All of my data files, documents, and websites are on drives D and E, and all of my pictures are in a directory on drive D. So I have set Google Drive to look at a directory on drive H, which is what I use for all of the files that I want to back up to Google Drive or share on Google Drive. I don't back up the digital photos to Google Drive because those files are backed up to CrashPlan and also to a local backup drive, and the amount of space taken is gigantic. The directory I use for files I want to send to Google Drive includes directories that I share with clients or others who need access to the documents. For example, COVID-19 for CML is a directory with high-resolution images that I took in central Ohio during the height of the shelter at home phase of the COVID-19 pandemic. These images are being shared with the Columbus Metropolitan Library for historical use. Private directories also include images taken in and around Bell Fountain, graphics that I use when people celebrate birthdays, ebooks that I want to have available on whatever device I have, and even some screen captures from the Surface Pro that will eventually find their way to a TechBiter Worldwide program. What may surprise you is that you can share access to your Google Drive directory and give users full control to some directories so that they can add change or delete files that will then be synchronized to your computer. Although I use GoodSync to copy essential files from my wife's computer to her directory on my computer so the files will be backed up to crash plan, Google Drive would also be an option. If you can afford GoodSync for two computers, that's about $30 a year for up to five computers, that's what I consider to be the best option. And you'll see information this week on the TechBinder Worldwide website in a sidebar about how to set up a sharing plan using GoodSync so that you'll be able to duplicate files from one computer on another computer. Why do this? Well, let's consider what happens to the files from my wife's computer. Let's say she takes a photograph with her digital camera. That's something she's pretty likely to do. She will download that photograph from the camera to her computer. Later in the day, GoodSync on her computer will notice that and copy the photograph to a directory on my computer. As soon as CrashPlan notices the new image is present on my computer, the file will be backed up to the cloud. And on the following Wednesday, GoodSync will copy the files to a USB drive that I use for local backup. If you're counting, that file is now in four locations. Phyllis's computer, my computer, crash plan, and a local USB drive. If you're not counting, it's still in those same four locations. The true value of your computer isn't the hardware. It's not the installed software. The really valuable stuff is what you have created. Tax records, email, documents, recipes, photographs the hardware and software can be replaced. What you've created and stored can't be replaced unless you have a good backup system. If I didn't use GoodSync on Phyllis's computer to push files to my computer, I could easily set up a Google Drive directory, create a directory on her computer, connect that directory to my Google Drive account, and give her write privileges to it. Any files saved to the Google Drive directory would then be synced to the cloud, then synced to my computer, and finally synced to Crash Plan. Having more copies of a file is always better, always safer. The more copies you have of an important file, the more likely that file is to survive what might otherwise be a catastrophe. If you find these podcasts useful, and I hope you do, might you consider a donation? There are no ads here, and support from listeners is the sole source of income. It's easy. Just visit the website and click the Donate button near the top of any page. You can make a one-time donation or schedule a repeating donation every month. I thank you. And so does the cat. short circuits, if you've looked at tablet computers, maybe you've encountered sticker shock. As handy as these highly portable devices are, you might end up paying far too much for onboard storage. There's not much you can do about it if you buy an Apple device, but Microsoft's Surface Pro line of tablets still have XD memory card slots, and using one can save you a lot of money. Check out the TechBiter Worldwide website and take a look at the prices for a couple of Microsoft Surface tablets. Both have 13.5-inch screens, Intel Core i7 processors, and 32 gigabytes of RAM. That's sufficient for RAM-hungry apps such as Adobe's Creative Cloud, but the included storage is limited to just half a terabyte in a $2,500 machine. And if you pay $2,700, you can double the storage to 1 terabyte. But look, there is an XD card slot on the back of the computer, and perhaps we could use that. Well, yes, we could. Add a 512 gigabyte XD card for about $80, and you'll save more than $120 while expanding the onboard memory to 1 terabyte, half on drive C, the other half on drive D. Those who need enormous amounts of storage can add a 512-gigabyte card to the Surface Pro with one terabyte of internal storage and expand that system to one and a half terabytes. Apple no longer even has XD card slots on MacBooks, and XD card slots have never been an option on Apple's tablet devices. Windows-based tablet devices from other manufacturers usually have XD slots too, so if you're looking to save a little money, there's a way. Facebook users frequently see warnings from people who claim their account has been hacked. This is usually followed by 27 or more well-meaning people telling them to change their password. Although there's nothing wrong with changing your Facebook password, it's rarely necessary. I've been a Facebook participant since around 2008, and I think I've changed my password exactly once, and I did that only to make it stronger. It's now 25 characters long, contains upper and lower case letters, numbers, and symbols. So if you've been careful and you haven't clicked on a link that takes you to a fake Facebook site, your account probably has not been hacked. But perhaps it has been cloned. Cloning is relatively easy if the target account uses Facebook's default settings. When an account is cloned, the crook may be able to see your friends and send friend requests to them. What's the point of that? Well, when your friends accept that friend request, they may expose all of their friends to the scammers. But again, what's the point of that? When the scammer gets the user's friends to believe the cloned account belongs to the user and accept a friend request from the fake account, victims may think they were accidentally unfriended, or maybe the user created a second account and accepted. When friends begin accepting the requests, the scammer can hit them with fraudulent messages that attempt to empty their bank accounts. Here's an example. You receive a friend request from Joe, and you accept it. Then a few days later, the cloned Joe sends you a private message. Oh my, something terrible has happened. He's terribly, terribly embarrassed, but could he ask you for a small, brief loan? Maybe he's out of town, his wallet's been stolen, so he needs money for gas to get home. Could you wire him $500 or so? He'll pay you back as soon as he gets back in town. Well, it is Joe, after all. You've known him for years, so you send the money. That's just one of several ploys that crooks use. You'll never see your $500 again, and you'll find out that Joe never really left town. Anyone can create a Facebook account using any name. There's more than one Bill Blinn in the world, and there are multiple accounts with my name. That doesn't mean my account has been cloned but one clear indication if you search Facebook for your own name is finding a second account that uses your photograph. What then? When I checked my own name in mid-July, I didn't find any clones of my account, but I did find a Bill Blinn on the East Coast whose account has been cloned. This is obvious because the same photograph is used for both accounts. If you find your account has been cloned, it's important to do three things pretty much immediately. Start by warning your Facebook friends not to accept a new friend request from you, and to unfriend any new account if they've accepted a friend request recently. Do this using email, messenger, and posting a message to your timeline. Second, because you've already identified the fake account, report it to Facebook so that it'll be deleted. Click the ellipsis mark on the fake account and choose reporting options. Choose pretending to be someone, and then indicate that the person that the cloner is trying to be is me. But you might not be able to see the account. If so, that's because the scammer has blocked you, and you need to ask a friend to find the fake account and report it as pretending to be someone and a friend. And third, hide your friends list. If your account hasn't been cloned and you haven't hidden your friends list, do that right now. There's no reason for everybody in the world to be able to see your friends. All this does is make it easier for scammers to abuse your account. To hide your friends list, go to Facebook settings and choose the Privacy tab. Make sure who can see your friends list is set to only me. You may want to change who can see your future posts to just friends, but honestly, that makes it difficult for people to share your posts. How does Facebook tell the difference between me and all of the other Bill or William Blins? Well, each user has a unique ID or index number. Your email address and your password link to that ID. The name displayed on your account is just that, a display name, one that Facebook displays on your posts. And by the way, if you'd like to find out what your Facebook ID is, go to your account page and right-click the profile picture. Select Copy Link Address from the Context menu, and then paste the address into any document that can display text. The account ID is the 10-digit number at the end of the string following refer profile ID. And this brings up the question of privacy on the internet. Forget privacy particularly on an information sharing service such as Facebook. It is not possible to limit the visibility of your profile picture or the account banner, so they are very low-hanging fruit for anybody who wants to clone your account. If you hide your friends list, you make the account much less appealing to crooks. Just keep in mind that nothing on the internet is perfectly secure. And if you consider the larger context, let's just make that Nothing is perfectly secure, internet or not. Crooks can break into stores, steal cars, rob banks, do all kinds of things you don't want them to. The internet makes things easier and less personal because crooks can steal your money or your identity without ever meeting you. All we can do is make it harder for the thieves to victimize us. And if your account has been hacked, until you're certain, don't panic. And even if you are sure, don't panic panic can make a serious situation even worse. In other words, maybe we should all try to act the way first responders are trained to react. Be part of the solution, not part of the problem. There is no hacking or cracking or cloning in spare parts, which is only on the TechBiter Worldwide website. This week, you'll find these articles. Podcast aggregator Stitcher is about to be acquired by Sirius XM after being owned by the E.W. Scripps Company for five years. Would you take a pay cut to gain the flexibility of working from home? A lot of people would, and you might be surprised at how much of a pay cut they'd accept. And 20 years ago, the Crusoe processor from TransMeta promised to bring to market amazing small computers that ran cooler. It never happened. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Be sure to check out the website www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. See you next week.